Testing, testing. One, two, three. Yes. One, two, three, four. Get your woman on the floor. That, of course, was from the song Something New by Coolio. Uh, it's not a very new song, unfortunately. I think we're talking 1995 or possibly yes. even 96. And that was just 10 years ago, right? That was 10 years ago. Uh, and by 10 years ago, I mean 18 years ago. Now, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is the Godzilla Pod War Hour. We're so pleased that you could be with us. In fact, we've decided to give one of our, at random, we're cho- choosing one of our listeners to receive a new Pontiac Sedan 1994 Cutlass Sierra class, full accoutrement, leather interior, optional heat and massage, uh, pumpernickel scent inside of it. Okay, all you have to do is write in your top 36 reasons why you love the show so much and would gladly continue listening to it rather than A, going to work. B, uh, walking your dog, or C, feeding your children. Because Godzilla is important. It's important to me, it's important to Nate, and it's going to be important to you before we finish. Nate Bear, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, Quite an enticing offer. I mean, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. I'm uh, Nathan Bear, and uh, with us as always is uh, Michael Kelly. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, Hello there. So, uh, today we are going to talk about the 1965 extravaganza, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, a.k.a. Invasion of the Astro Monster, a.k.a. Ghidra 2, Godzilla's Boogaloo. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Yes. In, uh, released in 1965 in Japan, and uh, then the American version, simply titled Monster Zero, released in 1970, uh, obviously in America. Yeah. Solid flick. Uh, I like it better than, than Gidra the Three-Headed Monster. I just think it's more entertaining. It's just it's more fun to watch. A stronger script, too, wouldn't yeah. you say? Uh, definitely a stronger script. And this one kind of goes way back for me. Um, this is one of the few films that in the series that was available exclusively through VHS. And I remember going to the Midland Public Library as a kid and uh, renting this. I mean, we we rented it, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 times over the course of like five years. Um, And it was just so weird and just like, it's just so bizarre. And the monsters really aren't even in it that much. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're what? Uh, Good, maybe... Ten minutes less. Uh, yeah, than... yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you have ten minutes with the monsters on screen, and but only about five minutes of that is them actually fighting. Yeah. The rest of it is just sort of this weird transportation stuff from this this grift that the aliens play on the humans. So, mm-hmm. um, really, what it it kind of boils down to it it feels like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, that just happens to have Godzilla, Rodan, and Ghidra in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, and, but and a good one. Yeah. You know, and, and an entertaining one and kind of a, it's got a, a great kind of campy atmosphere. Yes. They're um, all, they're all playing along and they're not, you know, they're not acting as though this is beneath them. They're playing along with it. And it just, especially Nick Adams' performance uh, right. is just just up uh, to the T with feeling, yeah. Uh, I think. And it just makes the whole atmosphere of the film more enjoyable. 
um, than many of the other ones, or just science fiction films in general. I think it's uh, one the human, not just the monster special effects elements, reach a high point, uh, which is why the prequels are complete failures of movies and the motion picture art in general. <laughs> well, that's a pretty violent segue into just dumping out the Star Wars prequels there. Uh, they, but, uh, well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. If you, if you want to take it there, that's fine. Um, Nick Adams does not phone it in in this movie, and no. he easily could have. He could have shown up to the set, fall down, sloppy drunk every day, and I don't think anyone would have blamed him. No. At this point, I don't think anyone would have called him out on that. At this point, you know, he'd gone from Rebel Without a Cause. He had uh, lobbied unsuccessfully for the Academy Award for Best Actor in a film, quite famously losing and humiliating himself in front of basically all of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so his career, not necessarily in a tailspin, but he kind of, you know, he accepted a role in the outrageously stupid film uh frankenstein conquers the world <laughs> which features a frankenstein the size of a godzilla mm -hmm. uh fighting baragon and nick adams was in that i believe the same year yes 1965 yes. yeah 1965 1965 was also a pretty significant year for toho in uh, general so you have two uh, monster films directed by Shiro honda it's also a significant year in uh the career of film director akira kurosawa who we've mentioned in previous episodes uh he, best friend to Shiro honda yes yes lifelong friend uh, they had um Kurosawa this year released Redbeard, which was his last black and white film. It was also his last collaboration with actor Toshiro Mifune. Uh, an act of uh, cruel irony, they their friendship had, um, uh, until Ishiro Honda's death, they were never actually to talk, uh, able to talk to each other on friendly terms until the actual funeral of Mr. Honda, which Kurosawa gave the eulogy for. Yes. So um, it took a best friend's death to bring two old friends <laughs> back together. So this was uh, you know, a, a complete uh, change. Not yeah. a Hollywood ending, but I guess a Toho ending. Yes, definitely a Toho ending in the vein of Sound of the Mountain or Floating Clouds, you know. <laughs> yes. um, so, yeah, I wanted to just take a second and talk about the the kind of the interesting technique of how this movie was made because again you've got Nick Adams he he's playing an astronaut named Glenn in this film which is a clear homage to uh, John Glenn yeah and then you've got his his co-pilot or you know depending if you're watching the American version he is the co-pilot to this mm -hmm. other guy uh, Fuji uh, is the character's name and of course is portrayed by Akira uh, Takarada. They, okay, Akira Takarada did not speak English. Yes. Nick Adams did not speak Japanese. Mm -hmm. And Nick Adams is in almost every scene with the human characters in this movie. So basically what they had to do mm -hmm. is uh, both actors and every actor appearing in, in any scene with Nick Adams would receive a script with Nick Adams' character, again, his name is Glenn, uh, Nick Adams' character's lines translated into Japanese. Ah. So they would understand what he was saying and they could sort of kind of wait for the, the, the pause in the dialogue and sort of respond to him appropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's a fascinating thing. It's just, it's pure acting. And, and, you know, these movies get a lot of flack for 
oh, you know, the, amongst other things, that the performances are stiff or that the actors are not involved or, you know, it's just, you know, very cheesy or what have you. But I'm going to tell you, you cannot do that unless you are really concentrating and committing to the moment and really intently acting. And, yes. And, you know, again, Nick Adams delivers a great performance in this movie. I mean, everyone across the board is excellent. You can see a little bit of that in the trailer mm -hmm. to the film because you have Akira Takarada speaking Japanese right back to um, Nick Adams who's speaking English and neither one of them has been dubbed for either country. It's just yes. the raw footage. Yes. And yeah. that's how it went. So in the English version, you actually hear Nick Adams' actual voice, um, but in the Japanese version, he was dubbed over in Japanese. I believe, there, if I recall correctly, it's different in Frankenstein versus Baragon, where Nick Adams, again, plays a, you know, uh, basically the lead role. And uh, there's actually, uh, he, you hear him speaking in English a few times because uh, the woman who is his uh, love interest in that film, is also learning English, and as well as American humor. Kumi Mizunu. Yes, if yes, I'm not yes. mistaken. It became a regular of the series, uh, all the way up until Godzilla Final Wars in 2004. Definitely a fan favorite. Uh, she's also in Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, and uh, yeah, excellent performance. And she's <clears throat> in one of my favorite Toho science fiction movies, uh, Motango, or Attack of the Mushroom People, where ah. she's a femme fatale in that and she is amazing um so yeah excellent actress i mean everyone is great in this you've got tetsuo tori that's the character's name i'm not sure this actor's name he's also in matango mm -hmm. uh but he's the toy maker he becomes very uh important later on in the plot um pretty much everyone yeah. is is very very solid in this movie and um, you know that goes across the board for the people making the film as well you still have top work from honda you still have, you know, the models, the sets, the special effects are still very, very good. And people are still pouring their, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears into it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's just another very solid entry. And, I, again, I think superior to get. And I think um, uh, along with uh, you know, Kurosawa's breakoff with Toshiro Mifune, this is also kind of uh, a, an end of an era where you no longer have uh, Shiro Honda, E.J. Tsuburaya, and... Uh, I believe uh, Ifabuke stayed around, um, but uh, they would not work together on a Godzilla film for a little while. This is like one of the last few right. films that was not uh, filled with uh, stock footage. Right. And uh, Superaya was the first to go. He went off to create the Ultraman series uh, for television. Which started as Ultra Q. Ultra Q. Which is sort of kind of a noir uh anthology science fiction ish things with characters carrying through to, from episode to episode sort of a proto x-files type show and eventually they found that if they put in more giant monsters the ratings would go up so it just <laughs> sort of turned into ultra man and i i want to stress this the fact that super was responsible for creating both godzilla and ultra man that's like the same person in America being responsible for creating Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. I mean, yeah. both of those characters are so popular, and, like, each one of them has their own, like, legion of media, and it's it's franchises upon mm -hmm. franchises based off of them. So 
they all come from this one guy. And so, yeah, I mean, Subaraya was basically, you know, he saw the future. The future was television. Mm -hmm. And he was, this was the last time he was all in, as yeah. it were. Um, um, special effects uh, would be done by uh, other people who we'll get to in the later yeah. episodes. Uh, but this is kind of uh, the, the beginning of the uh, the. The coming apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things are starting. Yeah, I mean, people are just getting worn out, and things yeah. are, you know, there's sort of a been there, uh, destroyed that yeah. <laughs> uh, mentality. You do get a fight on a different planet, a monster fight on planet X. Yes. Um, which is discovered behind Jupiter mm -hmm. in this film. Uh, and we are told through a sort of Star Wars esque uh, credit crawl in the beginning. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you do get, and I believe this is the only monster battle that actually takes place on another planetoid in the series. Of course, you've got things later on, like Space Godzilla, yeah. Batra going into outer space and all that sort of weird stuff. But as far as actual monsters fighting on a different planet, mm -hmm. I think this is the only time that this happened. Yeah, I think in the Toho film, in the Toho Godzilla anthology, I think it is the only time that happened, probably because uh, Deiko, uh, which was one of the other Japanese companies, had come out by this point with the Gamera series, which is a giant turtle who's really friendly with children. Yeah, uh, kids who, love yeah, Gamera. Who flies around uh, with his rocket legs, and he also <laughs> breathes fire. Uh, but like I said, very friendly to children, and right. he n does battle with aliens sometimes on Earth and sometimes in space. So it's probably for uh, to keep as much originality as possible and to keep the superior quality that Toho had been producing. This is probably why Godzilla only goes on Planet X this right. once. Yeah, um, it should be said of of the Beast himself, the mm -hmm. the man in question, uh, the Big G. His transformation from uh, villain to sort of super-powered superhero is well underway at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've read that this, there's some symbolizing of Japan sort of mastering its own weapon of mass destruction and using it against, you know, those who would oppress it and, and things. There's, there's different readings of mm -hmm. the film, them sort of harnessing the nuclear threat and now using it um, to defend the Japan instead of to as, as something that's threatening to destroy it. Right. And that is definitely well underway at this point. Um, Godzilla, whenever he's destroying anything in this film, it's it's because the aliens are telling him to. Yeah. Um, he his free will has been compromised, and when it's severed, he immediately goes into defending the, the planet. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's he's definitely turned the corner. Yeah. Now, Giant Entertainment, Giant Terror, The War of the Gargantuan, and Monster Zero. Do you see anything? From a planet 50 million miles beyond the stars came a strange message. Lend us your Rodan and Godzilla to fight our Monster Zero. Earth answers and the most dreaded creatures ever to walk our planet are lifted into outer space. The stage is set for the mightiest battle ever seen by the universe in Monster Zero. All forces on Earth ready to attack. What started out as a call for help from space 
turns into a nightmare of terror on Earth, Monster Zero. And the War of the Gargantua. It began with a mysterious, wild storm at sea. And before the night was over, the whole world would hear of the terror of the Gargantua. Where had such a monster come from? What forces created such a devastating destroyer? Who or what could stand up to it? Let him have it! Armies fought the monster with million-volt laser beams. Hey, look! Another one! You'll see all of their terrifying battle to the death when you come to the greatest monster movies ever made. The War of the Gantuas and Monster Zero. So now the fun part begins where we dissect the plot. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, we find out in the credit crawl at the beginning that at some time in the late 1960s, the movie is set in 1960X in the Japanese version. A year is never given in the American cut. Uh, planet X is discovered, which is, I guess, a sort of orbiting planet behind Jupiter yes. that we can't see. So, uh, and there's a spaceship. We pick up where uh, the first manned spaceship is, is going to Planet X to investigate. And, uh, and why have... Everybody, you know, put so many uh, much time and resource towards this. Well, it's because they found radio waves uh, coming from Planet X, and that is just enough to convince everybody, hey, let's stop putzing around and actually put people on a planet that might have intelligent life. And uh, thus we cut to uh, our heroes, uh, Nick Adams and Akira Takarada, uh, playing Glenn and Fuji, uh, respectively who are our protagonists slash astronauts. Yes, and they're, they're not flying for NASA. They're flying for the World Space Agency. It's another sort of indicator that this movie takes place a little bit further in the future. Mm -hmm. Not quite 1965, not quite the far future, but long enough where progress has happened. So there's now this international space agency conglomerate that mm -hmm. is in charge of such things. Uh, as they're making their way to Planet X, uh, we uh, find out that uh, Fuji is uh, not uh, happy with his uh, sister's uh, dating habits. Uh, specifically, Mr. Tetsuo Tori, who is a toy maker. Toy? Toy maker? Maybe a connection? Maybe not. Anyways. And the toy that he makes is really a wonderful children's toy. It's basically a portable fire alarm it makes this it's it's it looks like a compact yeah and you press it and it makes this piercing noise i don't know what the thought was behind this particular toy maybe it's so that way single you know children you know only children can know what it's like to have a sibling yeah i, I know that's the only only <laughs> only use of such a device uh, other than as you know a, a fire alarm Right. Or burglar alarm. But uh, anyways, uh, then our heroes uh, make their way to Planet X. And while on Planet X, they are abducted by aliens. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know. they're, 
I think there should be a different word. They're 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 not abducted. They're yeah. ki- they're kidnapped. Kidnapped. Maybe, maybe it, to go along with the plot, they're rescued. They're rescued. Um, you find out that Planet X is is being, according to the aliens, besieged on a regular basis by Monster Zero. Zero. And, and who is Monster Zero? Because everything on Planet X is named via number. Ooh. So it turns out that Monster Zero is actually. You guessed it, King Ghidorah. Yep. Not Monster 3. You you would think, you know, with three heads, maybe. Maybe. But yeah, no. Three heads are better than one. At this point, uh, Nick Adams and his associate, Mr. Takarada, so Fuji and Glenn, are like, well, well, what do you want us to do about it? The alien controller, who talks like a robot, uh, asks very kindly for permission to borrow Godzilla and Rodan from yes. planet Earth. Uh, bring them over to Planet X and have them defeat Gendra. Seems like a pretty clear-cut deal. In return, uh, he will give them uh, the, the a cure for all disease on Earth. Now, in the American version, it's all disease. In the Japanese version, it prevents all forms of cancer. Ah, which, actually, that's a better-sounding... Yeah. Because just all disease sounds kind of weak. But yeah. cancer, that's, like, immediate... Yeah. As of now, incurable. Um, so I, I think, and as of then, incurable as well. That just sounds a lot more direct. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, they agree. This is a great deal for them, and uh, they immediately go back to planet Earth. And what the bargain? But uh, yeah, so they go back and they explain uh, to the uh, the Diet which uh, apparently now houses uh, the UN cool. uh, and uh, and a priest who seems to linger in the background through the entire or a cardinal actually I should say he's a cardinal who just kind of lingers in the background throughout the entire movie um, but yeah they, they explain Planet X's case and uh, everyone seems to agree they just want to test out whether the Planet X people are correct as to the whereabouts of Godzilla and Rodan because you couldn't just take them at their word. They actually have to send troops out to make sure that Godzilla is specifically under the water of this specific lake. <laughs> yes. Now, at the same time, it should be noted that Tetsuo, the toy maker, has received a very uh, generous offer from a corporation known as the World Education corporation not suspicious at all no and no 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 just like happy enterprises it's just like happy enterprises there's nothing funny there's no funny business going on here but they immediately want to buy his terrible invention and burn the blueprints for it for reasons that are uh, at best suspicious they send their representative uh namikawa who is played by kumi uh, mizuno and she also happens to be dating glenn who's played by nick adams so yes. you kind of get the the characters there. Uh, coincidentally, uh, they, they Nick Adams and uh, this actress also played lovers in uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon, and it's uh, rumored to believe they might have been uh, lovers off screen. Uh, however, uh, it should also be noted that Nick Adams is rumored to have had affairs with uh, James Dean and even Elvis Presley. Well, it was the 1960s. So, yes. So uh, people were exploring the space. There was a lot of, you know. Rome and Planet X's to exactly. explore. There was a lot of X, I yes. think. Yes. Triple X. You! Uh, <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> so, yes. Uh, the plot is in motion. 
Tetsuo selling his invention, feeling great. Um, Glenn and Namikawa having a very passionate, sultry, sexy relationship. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by this? I mean that they share the singular, sterile, borderline platonic, only screen kiss in the Mm. entire Godzilla series. This is the only time a man and a woman uh, kiss in a romantical fashion. Uh, are these two characters in this 1965 film? Mm. So uh, pretty sterile for the rest of the rest of the go. But yes, they are involved, and it's funny. Fuji and Glenn, they seem like paranoid people because they start second guessing the uh, the people from Planet X almost immediately after they get back to Earth. Yeah. They're first suspicious about. Uh something they hear over the loudspeaker on Planet X that uh, makes them start to suspect that maybe there isn't a lot of water on Planet X. Right. And then they do the usual, bah, oh well. <laughs> right. And they, it's it's weird because no additional information is introduced, and yet they keep getting more and more suspicious of the people from Planet X. It really seems like within the space of about an hour in the space, you know, in the time of the film, they go from being like, I don't know how much we should implicitly trust these Planet X guys to, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're up to something. We have to investigate. Yeah. Um, so it's it's funny to me, the, the scene where they're basically on their way back to the bodega that Glenn had stayed in the night before. And then all of a sudden they basically get distracted by the aliens taking uh, Godzilla and Rodan. Uh, Godzilla's at the bottom of this lake. Rodan has somehow been encased in this mountain. We're not mm-hmm. sure how. Again, this is where the series... summer home. <laughs> you know, you can draw a direct line in all the earlier Godzilla films. Well, okay, he was frozen, and then he was here. And you could kind of make some sort of logical sense out of it. Yep. This is the first time where it's just like, no, he's in the bottom of the lake, and Rodan is somehow inside of a mountain. And from here on in the series pretty hard to connect the dots yeah Uh, they basically show up either inside of mountains or in things or frozen around in space and it's it's kind of a pinball machine at this Mm -hmm. point on and this is the film where that kind of comes into full effect so we've broken free from the i don't know the original continent you can't trace a straight line anymore is what i'm trying to say glenn mentions to to fuji that uh, when he was spending some time at this bodega with uh namikawa the night before he noticed uh, someone who was seemingly suspicious, who seemed as though he was from Planet X, uh, an emissary, or there was something suspicious about him. There was some funny business going on. And so and that he was hovering over their bed. Yeah. First of all, he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's just some guy looking at them in bed. I, I'm not sure why he wouldn't just get out of bed and like ask him why he was there. Yeah. Or, or maybe he was just really punching. drunk and he thought it was a dream. I think he does explain it to him. He's like, I thought it was a dream. Yeah. And, but it's it's enough of a suspicion and their paranoia is starting to take hold at this point. We're like, okay, let's go investigate. And then, yes, they get interrupted by this spectacle, which is the aliens. And that's one of the cool things, much like in um, War of the Worlds, where the yeah. aliens are already there. Uh, the flying saucers are already under the ground. Uh, and they bring Godzilla up in sort of this cocoon or shell or pod mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, 
yeah, all of a sudden, Fuji and Glenn completely forget about investigating, and uh, they're like, oh, yes, we're going, you know, into outer space, and uh, which, I don't know, seemed pretty random to me, and amazing that they would just, because it's really, if you watch it, yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, they go, um, they flip on a dime, I mean, it's, yeah. you f- they flip a coin, and it's just like, they f- completely forget, <laughs> um, so they, um, so after the Plan X people talk to the Earth officials and news reporters and uh, people with cameras, they then take Glenn Fuji as well as uh, one of the administrators up with them to Plan X with Godzilla and Rodan. So they go there and they explain, uh, like all uh, bad guys, not that the Planet X people are bad guys. No, of not course. At all. No, 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 no. They just want to help out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, they, they explain uh, how everything is run by electromagnets and magnetic waves. And electronic computers. Yes. Their emotions are governed by electronic computers. Through their head. Um, they're very careful to make that distinction. Yes. As opposed to organic computers. Yes. Um, so, yeah. The ones that grow on trees. They're very calculating. Uh, they're extremely proficient and efficient. And, uh, yeah, they, they hop on the ship. They hop on the flying saucer. They go almost the speed of light back to Planet X with uh, Rodan and Godzilla in tow. Mm-hmm. And then, basically, they drop off Godzilla and Rodan, who are kind of just sort of stunned or frozen. And... Then uh, King Ghidra attacks very yes. conveniently, and the uh, the first monster battle kind of starts to ensue at that point. And remind you, this is around uh, oh forty minutes into the film. Correct. Um, they Planet X has different gravity than Earth, so Godzilla is able to jump fantastic distances. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty cool. The fight, though, is. Uh, in contrast to some of the fights in, in Ghidra, short. Yes. And full of spectacular sort of... Boulder throwing. <laughs> again, a lot of boulder throwing. Uh, and Godzilla at one point does a horizontal jump of, um, you know, adjusted for size, maybe two miles, where he basically tackles uh, Ghidra. And, uh, you know, the fight's over pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, Godzilla does his famous uh, dance, which yeah. uh, apparently caused controversy on the Toho lot because uh, Subaraya thought it was cute, uh, Shiro Honda didn't, uh, and it was left in the film. Yeah, and so that that was the compromise. <laughs> Honda was not happy uh, so. with that, but they they did leave it in the film, and uh, yeah, it's funny as the series goes on. There's really Godzilla doesn't do anything that blatantly ridiculous for the rest of the series. I mean, that is one of the most outrageous things that he does as far as uh, anthropomorphizing. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, he'll do... He will do crazy things, but not in that same He's not, like, celebrating. Yeah. He's not, you know... Yeah, so it's... uh, That's definitely an interesting moment there. Um, But, yeah, anyways... uh, at, at one point, Glenn and Fuji's suspicions have taken over, and um, they sort of sneak away during the monster battle, mm-hmm. and they stumble onto a room full of, uh, it sort of looks like a, um, 
botanical garden, except there's a lot of gold in there. Yeah. So uh, ma- ma- imagine the cave in Wrath of Khan, but just covered in gold. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because offhand, the controller mentioned something about gold. Um, or water not, being more valuable than gold. Water so. being more valuable, excuse yeah, water being more valuable than gold, and this is their way of showing that. Um, so while they're there... Uh, Glenn spots Namikawa, or who he believes to be Namikawa, but uh, he goes up to her and asks her, you know, what are you doing here? And it turns out that she has no idea. She's never seen him before. He turns around and he sees another apparent Namikawa, and I guess all of the Planet X females all look like uh, Kumi Mizuno. Yeah. Which is a popular model. I mean, not a bad deal for the people on Planet X, no, but I mean. very confusing for Nick Adams. <laughs> um, at, at which point, Fuji and Glenn are caught yes. and uh, sort of scalded by the controller. Um, but he's like, "Well, since it's all in the in the spirit of good fun and free will, and it's, yeah, Nick Adams boner." That's, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, they. Uh, let them go and they say not only do they let them go but they came to planet x from earth in a flying saucer mm-hmm. but the aliens have very thoughtfully completely recreated the american space shuttle uh detail by detail point by point and so they can fly home which <laughs> i thought was like that was clearly just the script writer writing himself into a corner and being yeah. like, okay, uh, yeah. well, it's sort of weird if they give him a ride back, so we'll just have him make the ship yeah. again, uh, which is, I don't know, it was pretty hilarious. It's, pre- it's, it's pretty obvious that's what happened, but... But uh, point is, it's a tight script. Exactly. And moist. <laughs> a tight, that, moist the, script. The, yes, that is, that is, yeah, that's the one thing of the script where it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, we yeah, need you guys to get involved in the show. <laughs> this makes no sense, but just go with it. So they go back to Earth, they're like, hey guys, all right, you know, not only did we get rid of uh, Godzilla and Rodan, they're up way out on Planet X, we've got this tape with uh, ev- the cure to every disease in the world. Yeah. This is amazing. And they gather everyone around, <clears throat> they play the tape at the United Nations, or the version the of <laughs> yeah, the Diet building, which is also the de facto United Nations. Of course... Ah, the controller says, yeah, um, attention suckers, uh, we were lying to you the whole time, uh, we are now going to use the monsters to take over planet Earth because we have almost no water left on planet X, and we will now be giving you the orders from now on and you will obey us. And everyone's like, uh, upset by this, and... This is amazing to me. What what results is a a, a montage of newspaper headlines, uh, stocks crash, mm-hmm. mass rioting. There's there's a, a headline that says insanity. You know, mass insanity takes over, and um, this is this is as close as the villains ever come to flat out just winning. Uh, yeah. the, the the time frame sort of falls apart here because when it comes back to Tokyo, we see Glenn sort of forging through this broken down, destroyed. Uh, well, I think it's the remains of the World Space Agency or whatever. But yeah, it's, but it's, it's clearly, some, and you can hear the police cars yeah, in the background. The it, sirens. It, yeah, so it, it's like being in Detroit. Yeah, or Chicago. Exactly, <laughs> and so like, I mean, the bad guys basically win. 
And I mean, you can you can imagine like, I mean, mass insanity ruling uh, with the breaking of this news. This is, I mean, we don't know if it's been several months or, or whatever. Just three hours, <laughs> or three hours, and people were just you know jumping the gun or whatever, and they were just in the mood for a nice riot. But um, yeah, this is a fascinating development, and this is, you know. Uh, it's pretty rare for one of these movies to really go balls out yeah. and being like, okay, this is a planetary historical event. And like, no matter what happens at the end of this movie, you know, there have been mass riots in every country in the world. And it's like, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, what martial law yeah, is, is basically broken out. And, uh, so that's why I sort of, think of it as like a twilight zone episode because it's like it's not a happy ending but i mean it's they kind of recover it or whatever yeah. but um around this time uh tetsuo and glenn get thrown into prison by the people from planet x mm-hmm. because they in addition to just the riots that break out they also want to unleash the monsters unless the humans i guess respond yeah to their their tape saying mm-hmm. that they will allow them to rule yeah and uh but right before glenn is thrown in to prison he meets up with miss uh namikawa one last time who's in full space regalia because right. uh, she isn't hiding anything and, nothing to hide anymore and they have probably one of the more one of the most passionate like uh, i love you but this won't work speeches and probably a good any science fiction movie. I mean, right. there, there are a few great ones, but this one is definitely a passionate love struggle. And yeah. then, of course, uh, she is found to be guilty of having emotions uh, by the Planet X people who then execute her. But right before they vaporize her, she sneaks something into Glenn's pocket. Uh, <laughs> yes. Besides her hand. But... Uh, Glenn is thrown into a prison cell with Tetsuo Tori, who we remember from Act One, who yes. developed the the toy fire uh, alarm or yes. what, what have you. Which are uh, currently at Toys R Us now that it is the holiday season at uh, just nine ninety five. Think of it, isn't that a great deal, Mike? Nine ninety five for a whaling fire alarm. It's just... the same cost as a Chipotle burrito, so yeah. I, I've made my choice. <laughs> um, and. Yes, so uh, Tetsuo, I, I forget how it is, but it, it, Tetsuo um, <laughs> it, it manages to find his 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 noise his his noisemaker in Glenn's pocket. I think Glenn yeah. like, puts his coat on. He says, "What is this doing here?" Because yeah. there's no escape from the prison. It's yeah. being guarded by Planet X people. And they turn it on, and immediately, like morons, the Planet X guys are like, oh, that sound is terrible, yeah. you know, please turn it off, here's the keys <laughs> to the cell. And uh, they're, they're easily defeated, and um, they, Glenn and Tetsuo uh, break out of the cell and throw, them in, throw in the guards. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, um, they, they proceed out to Fuji, um, who is working with the top officials at the World Space Agency to to make some sort of 
uh, last stand. The people from Planet X have given a, I think, what? An ultimatum. An ultimatum. 24 hours. 24-hour ultimatum. And this is after they've already started blowing things up, and they've brought Godzilla and Rodan back to Earth, who are just kind of sitting in a slight stoop um, near the mountain, uh, just kind of waiting for the aliens' orders. Ghidra is, uh, we hear... He is reported to be in North America causing havoc. So, Which would have been an interesting scene. Yeah. I'm sorry they didn't include that. Uh, but, you know, hey. it's uh, So, he, so Ghidra's in North America blowing stuff to bits. All those poor Canadian mooses. Uh, they're, they're being blown a boot. <laughs> a boot. <laughs> strewn a boot. They're, they're being strewn a boot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Fuji realizes that Godzilla and Rodan are being controlled by radio waves. Yeah, or magnetic waves. Magnetic yeah. waves, and if they can just intercept the waves, mm-hmm. then they can free Godzilla and Rodan, who will immediately turn back to their natural ways of defending Earth at yes. this point. Which has only happened in one film before. Yeah, halfway so, sort of happened yeah. in one movie. <laughs> And uh, at the same time, Glenn comes back in and says, hey, we've got this noisemaker. <laughs> It'll, uh, you know, it, it, all the people from Planet X seem to freak out, so they have a plan now. Yes, and this is where it gets near Kurosawa-like. It's just like you get, all right, there's a plan. Can we get this plan to work? Right. And that's... The characters are no... And this is the key thing that sort of sets this apart from Ghidra, uh, where Ghidra is just sort of a random series of events Mm -hmm. that just kind of seem to happen and then the monsters are sort of nearby doing stuff Mm -hmm. this film they're really kind of working hand in hand and as you said it is a plan at this point and it locks in um so yes they they work on the device Meanwhile, Ghidra comes over to Japan, and with Godzilla and Rodan, they begin, you know, the aliens are fed up, so they begin actually launching their assault on the, this uh, one, I, I think it's a city, or a small city, which yeah. has a, uh, a Exxon mobile station that is uh, constantly blown at. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they begin blowing stuff up and stepping on buildings and causing... Uh, good amounts of monster damage and tanks and rockets are useless. Glenn wow. records Tetsuo's annoying, childish toy device firearm thingy. I don't see how this could yeah. ever be seen as any toy. Of yes. Any <laughs> only for a sadist. Um, or Sorry, only for a masochist. Anyways, so the uh, toy screech is recorded and they broadcast it nationally. Right. And the reporter says, everyone, turn up your radios all the way to 11. And they, this, the screech affects the aliens. And then, after the aliens start to become immobile, then the magnetic waves are launched at the spaceships to paralyze Godzilla, Ghidorah, and Rodan. Right. And then... The army begins to, with their tanks, bombard the bungalow, which the Planet X people... uh, It's their Earth base. Yeah, their Earth base. The aliens are being defeated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tetsuo's toy sound is being broadcast by every radio in the country, possibly the planet, Mm -hmm. at maximum volume. Um, They are 
going down basically the bombardment from the military has caused a cave-in at the earth base Mm -hmm. basically shit is is you know imploding and um getting uh out of hand and they're losing control Mm -hmm. um things are past the point of no return the saucers are out of control they've lost control of godzilla and rodan and ghidra for that matter and the plan for the good guys is working perfectly Uh, it's at this point that the controller decides to cut his losses basically we cut we keep cutting back to the earth base at this point and uh it's been kind of caved in Mm -hmm. people are dying and the the blaring noise that tetsuo's toy is making is uh everyone aboard the controller spacecraft and, and all of the spacecraft are writhing in pain they're holding onto their ears it's, ah they can't they can't fly the ship you know it's it's mass hysteria so the controller sensing he's lost decides to do the only reasonable thing and he decides to uh, push the emergency James Bond villain auto-destruct sequence mm-hmm. button, which all great villains must have at their disposal. Yes. It's just, it comes with the job. He destroys yeah. the Earth base. He destroys all of the flying saucers, and including the one he's in, and it's a very spectacular explosion. Before he does, he, he tries to sum it up. He tries to harden his, 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 you know, his fellow mm-hmm. uh, individuals from Planet X who were so close to victory here mm-hmm. on Earth. They could taste it. Yes. And now they've been defeated by their one weakness, again, sort of reflecting War of the Worlds, this one sort of you know, Achilles heel exploited to its fullest. <laughs> and in the Japanese version, he says... Earth base, we shall escape. We shall escape into the future, the unknown future. And in the in the dub version, uh, the American version, the the English dub, uh, he says, "An escape, an escape into the future, into that dimension we've never seen. All of you, join me in escape." And he hits the button, and then everybody, yeah. all, all the aliens, uh, blow up. Yeah. Um, in, in an odd way that seems near uh, humanist, whereas the entire movie they talk about how we're robotic, we're logical, we don't need emotions, and yet this is probably they're in pain, and he you know pulls a uh, right. cuckoo's nest, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and ends it all for everybody yeah. to save them the pain. This is one of the few windows into the actual psyche of the people from Planet X, and I don't think they are electronic computers. I definitely think they have emotions. And uh, I think it was all, you know, they they were just uh, trying to build themselves up, but they were as fallible as any other enemy in the universe. And uh, it's it seems to be almost a dark metaphor for the way Japan was uh, in 1945. How um, and and this is not an exaggeration. It was believed that uh, the country would have to die the death of a hundred million. Uh, and even Kurosawa writes about this in his autobiography of how. Um, Everyone, when he was on his way to listen to the Emperor's broadcast, which they thought meant that everyone was going to have to draw their swords and knives and commit a nationwide suicide. And he even writes about how he believed that that was what he was going to do. Uh, Though jokingly, he said that uh, before he was going to commit suicide, he and his other... uh, uh, filmmakers were going to kill the uh, censor board. 
Uh, <laughs> just to make sure. Just to make sure. But that first was, things first. Yes, first things first. But that was uh, actually the way it was. However, the emperor in 1945, and this is after both atomic bombs had exploded, uh, said that we must endure the uh you know the unendurable we must you know we 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 will surrender we must endure this uh we must endure this as a nation so uh but it, think how different it would have been if uh he had said we must die a death of a hundred million so this is almost a slight metaphor for the previous japanese psyche perhaps a commentary yes. on this perhaps not but an interesting reflection of the mentality of uh the warriors yeah. yeah the warriors you know the warrior mentality um so yeah the aliens are defeated and then the final battle of the monsters which is a huge throbbing ah uh, it's well it's two minutes and 41 seconds and again well, that's the movie, big right yeah, well the <laughs> the uh the movie is an hour and a half long <laughs> And you, you know, you've been waiting for this fight, and uh, it's over the blink of an eye, basically. Uh, so again, that's why I say this is basically a, a Twilight Zone episode with that happens to have Godzilla, Rodan, and, and Ghidra in it because mm. the fight is, it's over pretty quick. Um, the end is pretty spectacular. I mean, Rodan gives Godzilla the assist by picking him up and literally clotheslining him into Ghidra, and they all three of them fall. You know, I guess like two or three miles down this giant cliff yeah. into the ocean. Ghidra again sort of surfaces after a minor minor scuffle under the water and flies away, seemingly unscathed, but I guess <laughs> out into outer space and not to bother any, anyone again uh, until his appearance, in, uh, chronologically speaking, in Godzilla versus Gigan. Although he would be back uh, on the screen in 1968's "Destroy All Monsters," but Which that takes, film takes place, place in 1999, yeah, precisely the distant future, the distant future of 1999. Yes. So technically, Gigan happened first because that's 72. Yes. Uh, but anyway, history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gidra's out of there for a good, yeah, seven years. Yeah. Uh, technically, or whatever. So, yeah, uh, basically. Glenn and Fuji are like, <laughs> you're going to have to, you know, make dinner tonight. It's some stupid yeah. lies. <laughs> they forget the fact that the world is tearing itself apart. The economy has crashed. <laughs> uh, mass murder and rampages and mayhem is run. You know, martial law. Society has imploded. <laughs> and they're just like, ah, oh, you have to pick up the dry cleaning now. Yeah. Ah, you, know, <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's like, you know, no one is paying attention to the fact that their life will be in a post-apocalyptic wasteland now mm. because they were so gullible as to uh, believe these incredibly obvious aliens yeah. that were just clearly attempting to trick them um, the whole time. Definitely nothing trustworthy about them at all. That's why you should never trust a whole race of people that wear sunglasses all the time. Just, <laughs> you yes. know, they they all look like uh, the guy in the end of Scarface who thinks it's cool to wear sunglasses at night. Right, right. Right before blowing out Tony Montana's back. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, when, did, when did you, and, and thus thus the, the end credits roll on uh, Invasion of the Astro Monster. Mm -hmm. um, when did you see this film for the first time, sir? I, I would say it would probably be closer to maybe... Seven years ago, I saw it quite 
uh, m- much later than um, the other ones. Um, I know I saw it on VHS, uh, but I don't remember precisely when. In fact, I think it was given to me as a gift or it was at the library, something like that. So I ended up seeing it on VHS long after I had seen most of the other films. So it was a good throwback, and uh, I definitely must say it's got one of the more solid scripts. Uh, as much as we love to tear it apart, uh, this is definitely uh, one of the better written ones. Uh, one of the juicier ones. Right. Yeah. Just to, uh, you know, to have a, a relationship as sort of, even though one of the people in it is basically a robot as, as genuine and human as um, Glenn and Namikawa, that's that's pretty rare going forward in the series. The rest of it is uh, pretty saccharine and, and uh, yeah. you know, kid-friendly, I guess, to, to put yeah. it lightly. Yeah. I mean, they'll put in lots of blood in a lot of the later ones, but it's still... Right. For a while there, yeah. things get pretty sterile. So um, um, this is, and as we said, this is kind of uh, part of a slow breakup where, you know, first uh, Super I will be leaving and then uh, other... Members will be leaving as well. Sure, Honda will be taking a break, and uh, then he'll be off and on. Fuku Bay is out of commission for the next two films. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, you know, these people, they've been working very hard, and they're taking a little R&R now. But, hey, it's making money, so the franchise continues forward. <laughs> and it does continue forward in the first of what is known as the Island uh, series, um, kind of a short subset in the Godzilla franchise, uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Yes, which we will be discussing next week. Yes, um, sort of an underrated entry in the series, in my in my opinion. But yeah, in in your opinion. In my opinion, everyone else opinion. hates it though. <laughs> As they should, because uh, other people are normal. Mike. All right, that's fine. That just about does it for this uh, for this entry. Any final thoughts, sir? Well, uh, if I can uh, bastardize uh, Mr. Glenn's uh, speech, uh, beauty is more than just uh, looks. It's also the heart. So there you have it. Yes. <laughs> He's talking specifically about how Rodan looks, may look like Don Knotts, but he still fights with us. He still looks like Don Knotts in this one. Thank you.